Letter forty four of Letters from Egypt by Lady Lucy Duff Gordon. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. To Sir Alexander Duff Gordon, Luxor, June twenty sixth, eighteen sixty four. Dearest Alec, I have just paid a singular visit to a political detenu or exile, rather. Last night Mustafa came in with a man in great grief, who said his boy was very ill on board a Kangia, just come from Cairo and going to Aswan. The watchman on the river bank had told him that there was an English sit who would not turn her face from any one in trouble, and advised him to come to me for medicine, so he went to Mustafa and begged him to bring him to me, and to beg the Kawas, policeman, in charge of El Bedrawi, who was being sent to Fazoglo in banishment, to wait a few hours. The Kawas, may he not suffer for his humanity, consented. He described his boy's symptoms, and I gave him a dose of castor oil, and said I would go to the boat in the morning. The poor fellow was a Cairo merchant, but living at Khartoum. He poured out his sorrow in true Eastern style. Oh, my boy, and I have none but he, and how shall I come before his mother, a Habashia, O lady, and tell her, thy son is dead? So I said, Allah Karim Yasedi and Inshallah Tayyib, etc., etc., and went this morning early to the boat. It was a regular old Arab kanjia, lumbered up with corn, sacks of matting, a live sheep, etc., and there I found a sweet, graceful boy of fifteen or so in a high fever. His father said he had visited a certain pasha on the way, and evidently meant that he had been poisoned or had the evil eye. I assured him it was only the epidemic, and asked why he had not sent for the doctor at Kenna. The old story, he was afraid, God knows what a government doctor might do to the boy. Then Omar came in and stood before El Bedrawi and said, O oh, my master, why do we see thee thus? Mash'Allah, I once ate of thy bread when I was of the soldiers of Said Pasha, and I saw thy riches and thy greatness, and what has God decreed against thee? So El Bedrawi, who is or was one of the wealthiest men of Lower Egypt and live at Tanta, related how Effendina, Ishmael Pasha, sent for him to go to Cairo to the citadel to transact some business, and how he rode his horse up to the citadel and went in, and there the Pasha at once ordered a kawas to take him down to the Nile, and on board a common cargo boat, and to go with him and take him to Fazoglo. Letters were given to the kawas to deliver to every mutter on the way, and another dispatched by hand to the governor of Fagzoglo, with orders concerning El Bedrawi. He begged leave to see his son once more before starting, or any of his family. No, he must go at once and see no one. But luckily a fella, one of his relations, had come after him to Cairo, and had seven hundred pounds in his girdle. He followed El Bedrawi to the citadel, and saw him being walked off by the kawas, and followed him to the river and on board the boat, and gave him the seven hundred pounds which he had in his girdle. The various mutters had been civil to him, and friends in various places had given him clothes and food. He had not got a chain round his neck or fetters, and was allowed to go ashore with the kawas, for he had just been to the tomb of Abul Hajjaj, and had told that dead sheikh all his affliction, and promised, if he came back, to come every year to his mulid festival, and pay the whole expenses, i.e., feed all comers. Mustafa wanted him to dine with him and me, but the kawas could not allow it, so Mustafa sent him a fine sheep, and some bread, fruit, etc. 
I made him a present of some quinine, rhubarb pills, and sulphate of zinc for eye lotion. Here you will know we all go upon a more than English presumption, and I believe every prisoner to be innocent and a victim. As he gets no trial, he can never be proved guilty. Besides, poor old El Bedrawi declared he had not the faintest idea what he was accused of, or how he had offended Effendina. I listened to all this in extreme amazement, and he said, Ah, I know you English manage things very differently. I have heard all about your excellent justice. He was a stout, dignified-looking, fair man, like a Turk, but talking broad Lower Egypt fellow-talk, so that I could not understand him, and had to get Mustafa and Omar to repeat his words. His father was an Arab, and his mother a Circassian slave, which gave the fair skin and a reddish beard. He must be over fifty, fat and not healthy. Of course he is meant to die up in Fazoglo, especially going at this season. He owns, or owned, for God knows who owns it now, twelve thousand fedans of fine land between Tanta and Samuhod, and was enormously rich. He consulted me a great deal about his health, and I gave him certainly very good advice. I cannot write in a letter, which I know you will show what drugs the Turkish doctor had furnished him with, to strengthen him in the trying climate of Fazoglo. I wonder, was it intended to kill him, or only given an ignorance of the laws of health equal to his own? After a while the pretty boy became better and recovered consciousness, and his poor father, who had been helping me with trembling hands and swimming eyes, cried for joy, and said, By God the Most High, if I ever find any of the English, poor or sick or afflicted, up in Fazoglo, I will make them know what I, Abu Muhammad, never saw a face like the pale face of the English lady bent over my sick boy. And then El Bedrawi and his fellow kinsmen, and all the crew, blessed me and the captain, and the Kawas said it was time to sail. So I gave directions and medicine to Abu Muhammad, and kissed the pretty boy and went out. El Bedrawi followed me up the bank, and said he had a request to make. Would I pray for him in his distress? I said, I am not of the Muslimen. But both he and Mustafa said, Malish, never mind, for that it was quite certain I was not of the Mushkirin, as they hate the Muslimen and their deeds are evil, but blessed by God, many of the English begin to repent of their evil, and to love the Muslims and abound in kind actions. So we parted in much kindness. It was a strange feeling to me to stand on the bank and see the queer, savage-looking boat glide away up the stream, bound to such far more savage lands, and to be exchanging kind farewells quite in a homely manner with such utter aliens in blood and faith. God keep thee, lady, God keep thee, Mustafa. Mustafa and I walked home very sad about poor El Bedrawi. Friday, July 7th. It has been so awfully hot that I have not had pluck to go on with my letter, or indeed to do anything but lie on a mat in the passage with a minimum of clothes quite indescribable in English. Alhamdulillah, laughs Omar, that I see the clever English people do just like the lazy Arabs. The worst is not the positive heat, which has been above 104 degrees and as low as 96 degrees at night, but the horrible streams of hot wind and dust, which are apt to come on at night, and prevents one even lying down till twelve or one o'clock. Thebes is bad in the height of summer, on account of its expanse of desert, and sand, and dust. The Nile is pouring down now gloriously, and really red as blood, 
more crimson than a Herefordshire lane, and in the distance the reflection of the pure blue sky makes it deep violet. It had risen five cubits a week ago. We shall soon have it all over the land here. It is a beautiful and inspiring sight to see the noble old stream as young and vigorous as ever. No wonder the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. There is nothing like it. We have had all the plagues of Egypt this year. Only the lice are commuted for bugs, and frogs for mice. The former have eaten me, and the latter have eaten my clothes. We are so ragged. Omar has one shirt left, and has to sleep without it and wash it every night. The dust, the drenching perspiration, and the hard-fisted washing of Mohammed's slave-woman destroys everything. Mustafa intends to give you a grand fantasia if you come, and to have the best dancing girls down from Esna for you, but I am consternated to hear that you can't come till December. I hoped you would have arrived in Cairo early in November, and spent a month there with me, and come up the river in the middle of December when Cairo gets very cold. I remain very well in general health, but my cough has been troublesome again. I do not feel at all like breathing cold damp air again. This depresses me very much, as you may suppose. You will have to divorce me, and I must marry some respectable cuddy. I have been too lazy Arab, as Omar calls it, to go on with my Arabic lessons, and Yusuf has been very busy with law business connected with the land and the crops. Every harvest brings a fresh settling of the land. Wheat is settling at one pound the ardeb here on the threshing-floor, and barley at one hundred and sixteen piastres. I saw some Nubians pay Mustafa that. He is in comic perplexity about saying alhamdulillah about such enormous gains. You see, it is rather awkward for a Muslim to thank God for dear bread, so he compounds it by very lavishly almsgiving. He gave all his fellaheen clothes the other day, forty calico shirts and drawers. Do you remember my describing an Arab emancipris fraulein at Siut? Well, the other day I saw, as I thought, a nice-looking lad of sixteen selling corn to my opposite neighbor, a copt. It was a girl. Her father had no son and is infirm, so she works in the field for him, and dresses and does like a man. She looked very modest and was quieter in her manner than the veiled women often are. I am glad to hear such good accounts of my Rainy and Maurice. I can hardly bear to think of another year without seeing them. However, it is fortunate for me that my lines have fallen in pleasant places. So long a time at the Cape or any colony would have become intolerable. Best love to Janet. I really can't write. It's too hot and dusty. Omar desires his salam to his great master and to that gazelle City Ross. End of letter 44. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.